wild horses are beautiful, aren't they? If you go out on some of the Outer Banks islands, you can see wild horses running and, and sometimes playing in the surf and having a good time. And they are beautiful to see. I mean, how many, and also, how many commercials do you see about people riding, sometimes bareback, in the surf? And that's, you know, beautiful and romantic and, you know, what we're supposed to be aspiring towards. But what if you were out on Shackleford Banks and you saw one of those wild horses and you decided you were going to ride it? What do you think might happen? It's not a good idea to walk up on a wild horse and try to ride it. And we may have one in the room, Kevin, who's experienced in breaking horses that might survive that. Why is it not a good idea? They don't love you. They don't trust you. It feels like an attack when you get on their back. They're not broken. They're not submissive. Yes, they're beautiful, but their delight is in going their own way. They're resistant to being ridden. They're resistant to being directed. I had a friend who got on a horse that he thought was tame. And I don't know if the horses didn't like him. Or what? But this horse just took off. No, you know, stiff neck. No driving. And took him right under a limb. That limb was just high enough to clear the horse. And it cleared him. And he didn't get back on that horse. It is best to ride a docile, submissive horse. One that doesn't mind being directed by one he or she trusts. One that has been broken. And in a good way. Submitted. So that it might be productive. Men are like wild horses. Sorry, women too. We are born proud and resistant to direction. We want to go our own way. We're sometimes looking externally beautiful. And who we are and the things that we do. But apart from grace, we are wild horses. Resistant to direction. Resistant to being ruled. Rejecting truth in favor of unrighteousness. And today, at the end of his sermon, before his martyrdom, Stephen is going to point that out. He comes to the core of the problem. Not just for the leadership that was right in front of him, but for all of history and most of Israel coming through history. And every man and woman, boy and girl who's ever been born, is unbroken in heart when we are born. Not submissive to God. Resisting His Holy Spirit. Thinking everything is about us. And when Stephen applies the Word to them, he will be the first martyr of the early church. So I titled this sermon, Stony Hearts and Stoned Witnesses. And the main point I want us to see from looking at Stephen's martyrdom is that apart from grace, and this this helps us, this prepares us to be witnesses. Proper expectations are always helpful. Apart from grace, the world always rejects a true witness to Jesus, sometimes violently. 
Apart from grace, the world always rejects a true witness to Jesus, sometimes violently. Look at back at verses 51 to 54. This is the section I entitled Stony Hearts. Look what Stephen says in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a Joel Osteen sermon. No, it does not. At all. What is a hard heart? What is a stony heart? You see that all through Scripture. Why does God say He's going to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, and that that's what we need? Well, a hard heart compared to stone, obviously, a stone, if you've ever had a rock in your hands, it's not pliable. It's not flexible. It doesn't bend. It, and that being a picture of the way we're born with a hard heart that refuses to follow God's Word. I mean, we will like it as long as it will make promises to us. Right? If it will increase our bank account or heal our backache, you know, we'll go that far with it. But when it starts messing with our life, we won't go that far. See, stony hearts reveal themselves in religious ways and non-religious ways. Some are not religious and living out resistance and rebellion against God. Some are very religious. The people Stephen's talking to, but still have a stony heart. Still have a hard heart towards God. God is, God is here to serve me. He's to make things go well for me. I will sacrifice to Him in various ways to the extent that He does that. And if He doesn't do that, I am out of here. That's a religious stony heart. That's not a Christian heart. And we still have to fight with some of those tendencies and be changed from them. But it's a rejection of God and His ways. It's a stopped up ears that won't listen, especially when life's going difficult. See, Stephen's audience claim, the people he's talking to claim to be God's people. They claim to love His Word. They claim to be following God and and His Word, and yet they're killing His prophets and have killed His Son and are about to kill Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and speaking truth to them. But the truth is not fitting in their box. So how does a stony heart reveal himself? Well, the text gives us a few ways and a few descriptions, but it starts with stiff-necked in verse 51. You stiff-necked people. It's what Stephen says. And the, sudden, as though the Holy Spirit just suddenly helped him turn and gave him great boldness. And he looks at the leadership of his people and says, You stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked. What does that mean? That means stubborn. Proud. Refuse to be led by God. It is it, sort of a, the picture is an ox that refuses to be directed. Imagine plowing a field with an ox that won't take direction. What those roads might look like. And you might be bouncing behind the plow, you know. Or it just won't move. Just won't move. Or think of a horse. I mean, we're more familiar with horses. And my friend found out not all horses are willing to be directed. But imagine you're on a horse and the way you guide a horse is to pull the reins to turn the head. And however the head turns that direction, the horse will go. But on a horse that just stiffens his neck, won't let you turn his head and 
goes the way he wants to go. See, he's refusing to be directed. He's not willing to be submitted. He's not willing to be guided. Stiff-necked people refuse to love, honor, and obey God. They're mostly about loving and honoring and obeying themselves. And notice the shift here in verse 51. Look at it in the end of the, in the, end of the, the verse. As your fathers did also. Notice the turn. All throughout this sermon, he's been saying our fathers. And now he gets to this point and he says your fathers. They were fathers who obeyed God, the remnant, and fathers who didn't, the majority. And now he puts them in this camp, in the stiff-necked camp. And he also says this, that you stiff-necked people in verse 51 who are uncircumcised in heart and in ears. They have no ears to hear God. I mean, how many times do you hear Jesus saying, if you have ears to hear? And that comes from the Old Testament, by the way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And apart from grace, we have no ears to hear. We are uncircumcised in heart. What did that picture? Well, that picture the heart being cleansed and turned to love God. To follow Him. To obey His commandments. That's the way God says He would circumcise their hearts so that they would love Him and obey Him. But Stephen is saying to the leadership of the Jewish people, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Yes, you're circumcised in your flesh, but it counts for nothing if your heart is not circumcised. And you're refusing to listen to the truth. Their hearts and ears are unresponsive, covenantally unfaithful, if you want to put it that way. Their ears hear only what they want to hear. And they reshape the Word to what they want it to be instead of submitting to it. We have a lot of religious people are in that camp who love to go and hear somebody preach the Word if that person will preach positively about them and promise them blessings and shape the Word to make them comfortable. Yes, it is sad that people do that. <laughs> they reshape the word to their own desires. Their hearts are not open and changeable by the word. The uncircumcised heart loves self more than God and obeys self when it's boiled right down to the bottom. It sees the word about me and how I can prosper. And you can fill an arena with that kind of talk. But see, the circumcised heart sees everything is about God and His glory and about Christ and me being conformed into His image and about His message getting to the ends of the earth that Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior, the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament, clearly revealed if you have eyes to see and the one that Stephen is preaching. And that through the preaching of the Gospel, God works to call His people to Himself and He circumcises hearts so that the people love Him and live lives that honor Him. 
They are taking part with the unfaithful fathers who had killed the prophets who are now about to kill Stephen. They have circumcised flesh, but they don't have a circumcised heart. They don't love God. Paul said in Romans, Paul, interesting. And again, we'll talk more about Paul, but this is Saul who was, who was, the clothes were being placed at his feet. He was giving approval to the execution of Stephen. That God converts, and we'll see that as we go through Acts and, and uh, see Paul's conversion. But he wrote this in Romans. He says, no one is a Jew. Romans 2.28. No one is a Jew, a true Jew, who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision, true circumcision, outward and physical. It's a heart matter. Colossians 2. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And that person's praise is not from man, but from God. When our hearts are circumcised, we, we, we begin to love God. We're broken, if you want to use that term, so that in a good way, so that we submit to God and follow Him and believe Him in the light and the darkness and grow in grace, right? But these people are not in that camp. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 51. You, now look, just think of this, who he's talking to. These are supposedly God's people, the Jews, the religious people who have the law and claim to keep it and are really strict about certain things sometimes. They wash the outside of the cup, but the inward side is full of dead men's bone. You hear Jesus say that. He says this, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As that transition I told you, as your fathers did, so do you. Jesus even accused the Jewish leadership of being children of Satan. That's how strong. Your father, the devil, they like that too, by the way. You always resist the Holy Spirit. How do we know the will of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Word rightly interpreted with Christ at the center. When you resist the Word, you resist the Holy Spirit. When you won't live according to the Word, you resist the Holy Spirit. And that's what these people had done. They disobey, they avoid, they read wrongly. And then in verse 52, after saying they're stiff-necked, they're uncircumcised in heart, they resist the Holy Spirit, they're like their unfaithful fathers. He says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Notice that's your fathers. Again. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. The righteous one has come. And they have killed him, betrayed him. And they've always killed the prophets. They reject God's true messengers. I mean, what was a prophet in the Old Testament but a mouthpiece for God? And the prophets tended out to point out Israel's covenant unfaithfulness and call them to faithfulness. And would proclaim judgment on their unrighteousness and praise God hope after for restoration. But the prophets spoke for God. And the false prophets were loved by the masses because they promised peace, peace. Blessing, no, surely God won't judge the nation. He's not going to destroy the nation. You know, these Jeremiah and a few other people, they don't know what they're talking about. 
See, it's Jewish tradition is that Jeremiah was stoned and Isaiah was sawn in half. Having their best life now. You reject that. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And you even took it so far as to kill the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, people, a lot of people love to love to be taught, but they want to be taught what they want to be taught. And if you start pressing against that, they will reject you. Paul tells Timothy, yes, same Paul who is Saul, who will be converted. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice he didn't tell him to say, always be saying your breakthroughs just around the corner. If you Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now look at this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Boy, if we've ever lived in that day. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, their own fleshly pursuits. They will find teachers that will support them in that and fuel their greed and their fleshliness. And make them the center of the universe. And the Word's all about you. And how you can prosper. I'll tell you, the Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus. Who came to save you and me. Us knuckleheads. Who think it's all about us. And Paul's saying, preach the Word when they want it and when they don't. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, apply it. And apply it strongly. Know ahead of time that a lot of people won't like it. Because they'll just look for teachers who will tickle their ears. Stephen is not tickling ears in this sermon. And he's pointing the finger, a loving finger, a call to repentance finger at them and saying, you are stiff-necked, you are rebellious, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. You're just like you fathers who killed the prophets and you have even killed the righteous one, Jesus. Yes, God used it to fulfill His plan and save His people, but that doesn't let you off the hook. You are responsible. He says they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. See, the uncircumcised heart, the stiff-necked heart, the fleshly heart rejects Jesus and His witnesses when they are speaking truth. See, the false teachers will shape a nice Jesus for you that won't mess you with you too much. But it's a false Jesus that will lead you right into the bowels of hell if you listen to them. They've killed the righteous one. And they don't keep God's law. Look at this. You receive the law as delivered by angels. And we've talked about that in the angel of the Lord when we talked about Moses. I'll let you go back to that. And you did not keep it. Paul talks about that in Romans about you have the law, but you don't keep it. God's name is blasphemed through you. He was one of them. He knows like almost no other. You do not keep God's law, he says. And so they wept and they repented 
And they were saved. We better keep reading. Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They didn't even consider that He might be speaking the truth. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at Him. You ever get so mad you won't separate your teeth when you talk? Not you, maybe just me. They ground their teeth at Him. See, these are the stony hearts. These are the hearts that have not been graced or influenced by grace that have not by God's grace received the good news of the gospel and been circumcised in heart so that they love and submit to God and love his word and his son they don't have a new heart they have an old religious nasty angry heart filled with anger and murder in their own way and it leads to this secondly a stony heart, and here's your stoned witness, which is representative of all the slaughtered witnesses through the ages. 55 to 60. But he, Stephen, look at this. God comforts and strengthens his true witnesses. Look at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He looked to Jesus. I don't know what this looked like. so I can't give a great description. But it saw the glory of God. This kind of glory of God. And Jesus standing in the place of power. In the place of authority. Right hand. The mediator. The God-man. Still incarnate. Glorified. He said Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Notice it says Jesus standing. He's not seated. Standing in honor of His child. His witness. To receive Him unto Himself. To vindicate Him. And not the people who claim to be following Him. But He said, I see heaven opened and I see the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now look at their response. God is comforting Stephen for what he's about to face and will see him through it. And this happens in verse 57. The world, religious or non-religious, the world always rejects a true witness apart from grace. But they, now think how childish this sounds. They're responding to Him and, and what they'll give Him is what they see as, and what the Word says, the penalty for blasphemy. He's just not blaspheming. But it says, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at Him. La, 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 la. You ever had... I don't know. I have a twisted memory and I remembered Billy Crystal. Humperdinck, Humperdinck because he wouldn't listen to his wife. But anyway, if you haven't seen The Princess Bride, see it. It's funny. They refused to hear. Symbolically showing who they are. Stopped up ears. Stopped up heart. Full of self. Rushing against Him. And they cast Him out of the city and stoned him. Stoned him. What does that mean? They took rocks and threw them at him until he was dead. 
There's a penalty for blasphemy, but he's not a blasphemer. He was actually honoring God and preaching the truth to them, and they won't receive it. Do you, will you receive it? The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Dramatic music, camera pan. This is an important dude. We're going to see more of him later. But they stoned Stephen and they're hitting him. And as they're hitting them with rocks, hitting him with rocks, he's still loving his God. He's still loving his neighbor. Love fuels true witness. Look at this. Love for God. He's looking to Jesus. Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He's ready to go. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he prays to Christ. And then falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. This was not a quiet prayer. Listen to this. He cried, And I, I'm convinced Paul never forgot this. Saul never forgot this. He cried out with a loud voice, look at this. Look at this love. He's being stoned. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A euphemism for death. The body sleeps in the grave. The spirit goes to be with the Lord reunited when Christ returns. Not soul sleep, body sleep. To be absent from the Lord is to be, body is to be present with the Lord. But look what he did. He looked to the Lord Jesus and he said, receive my spirit. And we kind of understand that part. But then the people, the very people who are, who are stoning him, he says, don't hold it against them. Now that's love tested and proved right there. Don't hold it against them. Love for God. Looking at Jesus. Love for man. He interceded for his killers. Jesus had taught well the apostles and disciples who had taught others down to Stephen. But in Luke 26, 27 to 28, and this is an individual follower of Jesus' ethic. This is not telling our government not to protect his people. Don't get confused. But look at this in Luke 26, 27 to 28. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Man, we struggle with that, don't we? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who abuse you. Because Jesus deserves it, not because they do. See, we would give them what for? When they come, because we're focused on self and they're disrespecting me or coming at me. But if we have our eyes on Christ, because He has loved His enemies, which were us, and came and saved us, and died for our sin, and been raised from the grave, and gives us a free salvation because He earned it, then because He deserves it, I can treat my enemy with grace. But 
But look at that again. This is Jesus teaching us. Are we receiving it? Love your enemies. Even on Facebook. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. And Stephen is simply following Jesus when Jesus had said, when Jesus was on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is the Gospel big enough for you that makes you love the aggravating people? The people that don't deserve to be loved. Or do you just love the ones you like and like you and treat you well? Even pagans do that. I have a friend who was converted to when he went to college. He's a big, gnarly rug, rugby player. And to, I think, I don't know if they were his dorm mates or, or roommates or just in his dorm, but uh, they were Christians and they were, you know, not the big rugby people. And he used to really pick on them and abuse them and give them a hard time. And one day he came back to his room and his shoes were cleaned and shined. And he found out somehow that they did it and he said, why did you do this? And you know what they did? They used that as a gospel opportunity and told him why they did it. Now, it wasn't on the spot, but later he was converted and never forgot that. That these little guys who he made fun of and belittled and and treated with disrespect and that they loved him anyway and served him anyway that was not wimpy for them to do because they were doing it for jesus i'll guarantee you that's harder to do than to sock him in the eye if you're a good southern boy or wherever you come from it's much easier to than to serve and love those who are abusing you my flesh would much rather Give them a good sock in the eye, as Opie said, for free. If you watch the Andy Griffith show. But let's come back as we close. Let's come back to stony hearts. Do you have a stony heart? Let me ask you a question. Do you love the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Do you study the Word of God? Are you memorizing it and meditate on it and obeying it joyfully? All of it. Not just cherry picking. It's not Piccadilly. It's not a de- All of it. Has God circumcised your heart so that you love Him and love His Word and have a hunger for His Word? Now, listen, I'll just stand right here in front of you and admit, there's places on that list that I'm not doing like I should. When's the last time you picked some a section of Scripture and memorized it and then thought about it through your day when you were at His Word so that you might grow in grace? See, Christianity is not magic. To the extent that the Word is in your heart, to that extent you will thrive under pressure. But do you love the Word? And do you joyfully obey it? Not in order to be loved by God. That's legalism. Not to make yourself righteous. But because you've been so loved by Him in Christ. Because Christ has come and lived under the law and fulfilled it perfectly and died to pay the penalty for your sin. He took hell your hell, eternal hell upon Himself and drank it dry for you so that you don't have to face it. Raised from the grave so that you could be justified, declared righteous, adopted into God's family, sanctified and have eternity with Him forever. 
Do you understand His grace? And has that grace produced a love in your heart for Him, for His Word, and His Son? Because I'll say it again, the Bible's not about you. God is not about you primarily. He is about Jesus and Jesus saving His people. And He is a gracious and merciful God who calls us, even commands us, to trust in Jesus. Do you love Jesus? And do you obey Jesus when it's hard and when it's easy? That's a circumcised heart. Listen, I know you don't do it perfectly. That's why we have grace and a throne of grace to run to. But is that your heart? Does it grieve you when you don't obey Him? Because He said, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. To the extent that I don't keep His commandments, I don't love Him. And if I don't love Him, I haven't really gotten a handle on grace. Not legalism. I can't make myself savable or more righteous or more holy or more acceptable. But I can receive a full and free salvation. It doesn't just change my future. It changes my now. It changes my heart. And again, I know you're sitting here listening to me, putting up with me. So you must, in general at least, love the Word. I'm preaching to the choir to some extent. But we all have room to grow. See, part of the Great Commission, if you go read Matthew 28, is to win them and then teach them, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what is your way forward in joy, even through difficulty, is to lovingly, joyfully obey Jesus about being a child, about being a parent, about being a spouse, about being a worker, about being a church, per, you know, a member of the body of Christ. Christ love. And grace, and yes, His Word now is what shapes us. And even when it doesn't feel right, His way is right. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. And there's a way that don't always seem right to us, but the end is life, and it's His way. And if you've really gotten grace, you will trust Him, and you'll want to know Him, and you'll be hiding His Word in your heart. The parallel passage to be filled with the Spirit is be filled in the Word. In Colossians 3.16. The whole goal of what will become Saul, who is Paul, who is converted by Christ graciously, even though he was killing the church, is to make disciples who obey Jesus. Look at this from Romans 1.5-6. Through whom? Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. What's the purpose for that? To bring about the obedience of faith. For the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to, look at this, belong to Jesus. The goal of the Word of Christ in saving a people is to create a people who out of faith obey Him. The obedience that comes from faith. Right? Verse 5. is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations to belong to Jesus and joyfully do it because of all He has and is for us. So when somebody preaches to you and calls you to obedience, that's not legalism. Even though it's treated that way in contemporary church culture sometimes. See, the whole Christian life is not about justification. It's also about sanctification and growing in grace. And so to preach a command is not legalism if that, if that command is preached in the context of the Gospel. Showing you how to love this Savior who has saved you. 
I mean, read the epistles. Half of them are gospel, and the other half is how does that change our lives? Here's some commands you need to obey. When God saves us, He circumcises our heart. And a circumcised heart is one that loves and obeys Jesus and is grieved when it doesn't. And grows in it. Let me ask you a, let me ask you a simple question. Are you regularly convicted of sin? And grieved about your sin and seeking to grow in grace? God disciplines those He loves. If the Spirit's in you, He's going to be working in you to set you free from the sin that will enshackle you. you, Does He lovingly convict you and call you to repentance? That's what the Spirit does if He's in you. If that never happens, you don't have a circumcised heart. That's love. God setting you free. Let me ask you this. Are you this morning as you sit here before me trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation? Do you know the Gospel that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried and He was raised the third day? Do you believe that that is true? You're not saved yet. Simply believing in a God and believing that Christ was dead, burial, and raised, the devil knows that. But the third and essential element, are you trusting Jesus? For the salvation of your soul. For the salvation of you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him. Kids, are you believing in Jesus this morning? Are you trusting in Him? Has He produced a love for Him in your heart such that you want to obey Him? And it grieves you when you don't. And the last thing we see in this text is a circumcised heart or a heart that's been changed by the gospel tells others about Jesus. We're in Acts. Might as well talk about it. The word and word summary is witness. Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you burdened for your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus? Just as convicting for me as it is for you. I'm not just pointing a crooked finger at you. There are three pointing back at me, right? We're not doing everything we could be doing to get the gospel to those around us. We're just not. What are we going to do about that? And I know this is uncomfortable, and if you need to leave and go find another church, this is what we're going to talk about when we're going through Acts. Are we doing everything we can do to tell people about Jesus? See, sometimes when we get reformed in our theology, we get all comfortable and we forget the command to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But he tells us to preach the gospel to every creature. Stephen is doing that. He's standing before the mo- in the most dangerous place he could to witness and he's flinging it out there with faith. And it will cost him his life. And that's okay. Just quickly, stoned witnesses. Witnesses are always stoned in various ways. If you are faithful, you will suffer for it in some way. Look, the first way, the obvious way, the way that's here in the text, witnesses are stoned with violence and death. It doesn't always have to be rocks, right? Sometimes, like the prime example who Jesus was slaughtered by these very same people, 
even though God was at work in it, accomplishing his will in the salvation of his people, they didn't understand that. They just hated Jesus and killed him. Witnesses are stoned or killed all the time. Did you know that in the last 10 years, conservative number over a million or right around a million people have been martyred for Jesus? See, we're so comfortable in America. We hardly ever, the news is not going to tell you. I mean, CBS is not going to come on it today. 76 people were martyred for Jesus. But the gospel's going forth. Hooray. CBS not going to do that. Or ABC or NBC or any of them. It's not their job. A million in 10 years. But Paul got it. He got it from Christ to live as Christ and to die as gain. So you may be killed if you witness for Jesus and His grace will be sufficient for you as it was for Stephen who calmed him and comforted him and, and those rocks simply ushered him home. But you know, another way that we are stoned as witnesses is ignored. People just ignore us. That's okay. They patronize us. They fake kindness when they really think they're superior. They outright reject us. They'll persecute us with words or tweets or they'll lie about you. They'll avoid you. See you coming and go another way. And you know what? If any of those things happen to you because you're loving Jesus and living for Him and talking about Him, not being a jerk about it or a jerkist. What do you call a lady who's a jerk? <laughs> right? But because you're being loving, but you're being faithful, if they reject you or persecute you or any... What did Jesus say do? Have a hallelujah fit. Rejoice, for so they treated the true prophets before. It's an evidence of God's Spirit being at work in you. My fear is that we hardly ever suffer for being faithful to Christ. See, this guy that's introduced in this text, Saul, who will be Paul, he would learn about suffering as a witness and he would teach that to Timothy. He said in 2 Timothy 3, 10-13, he's about to leave this earth. Saul will be martyred. He learned a lot from Stephen in that moment. 2 Timothy 3, 10-13, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from the Lord, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on. He once was that imposter. Will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, Saul is an example of one who's gone from a stony heart to a circumcised heart, who now loves, trusts, and obeys Jesus, who is a witness for Jesus and has suffered much for it. God uses our witness, even when we think it's a failure. I'm sure that Paul never forgot Stephen. And he never forgot that closing prayer. Don't hold it against them. What grace. Paul himself, like I said, would end up being martyred and beheaded under Nero in Rome. But he taught before he left, which is the truth, that life is about Christ and death is gain. 
He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and about Christ because Christ died for us, was buried and was raised from the grave, proving it's all true and that you can have life through trusting in him. And then death is gain to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So what about you? Are you a wild horse? Wild, unbroken, unsubmissive. Going your own way. Not listening to God. Are you one who's been broken by the gospel and God's grace? Who has a circumcised heart that loves and trusts and submits to Jesus over all? And to His Word. And one who seeks to take others and tell others about Jesus and this salvation. I pray that everyone listening to me has a circumcised heart. And it's proved in the life by loving and trusting Jesus. And next time you see those wild horses on the outer banks or wherever, think about this. And ask yourself the question, am I broken or unbroken by God's grace? Trust and love Jesus. That is the way. That is the truth. That is the life that will take you all the way through death should you face it like Stephen or we will all face it in some way into Christ's presence and into eternity with Him. Let's pray. Lord, change our hearts and our attitudes and our understandings. I pray more than ever before that life will be about Jesus. Forgive us how we failed you in witness. Forgive us for how we failed you just in life. Forgive us for our complaining when life gets hard. Forgive us for forgetting you when life is easy. Lord Jesus, help us to grasp your grace. And have a love in our hearts that is produced by that grace, that flows out of that grace so that we truly love you and joyfully obey you and see life as all about you. And should that day come, be willing to go all the way through death in faith, not hating, but loving you, loving our enemy, loving our neighbor, and desiring that they come to faith in you. Lord, help us. Work the repentance in us. Give us a fire in our belly, a a passion for Your Word, a passion for prayer and fellowship with You, a passion for life together in community around Christ, a passion for mission to take this Gospel to our families as hard as it is, to our neighbors, to our community and state and around the world, Lord. As a church and as individual people, make us people of mission because You've been so gracious to us. Oh, we praise You this morning. And pray that you would help us to trust you, to grow in grace, and to live a life that glorifies you because of your love to us. And dying for us, and being raised for us, and reigning for us, and coming to get us someday. Save and sanctify your people. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.